All right, Maybelline. Maybelline, probably his most famous song, Chuck Berry. And he had everything at this song. Country, jazz licks, blues, all kinds of verbal innuendo that he just put in there. That uh, And it's this whole brand new thing. In 1955, when the song came out, people were not ready for Maybelline, but many people were. Maybe old people weren't, but maybe young people were ready for Maybelline. Uh, so Chuck Berry, we remember you all day long here on The Mark Steiner Show, as we remember the great Derek Walcott here on The Mark Steiner Show, one of the great poets uh, of our time, one of my favorite writers uh, who wrote numerous books, won the Nobel Prize. Um, I believe he was the first West Indian writer. Am I right about that? To win the Nobel Prize? I might be wrong about that. But, but So let me read this other Derek Walcott piece called Love After Love. The time will come when the elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes, Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your own life. The great Derek Walcott. We lost him, and he was one of the great poets and writers, uh, I think, of all time. And um, I was always a big fan. Never had a chance to interview him. But uh, I do have a chance to think, think about him and read his work, which we'll do this hour long, with the great Chuck Berry. We lost two of them. So we continue our conversation. We go to move to a conversation about what's happening locally. Uh, and Dr. Kimberly Moffat has chosen to stay. I'm so happy she has. Good to have you back, as always, Kimberly. Thank you. Uh, and the Associate Professor of American Studies here at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, co-editor of Blackberries and Red Bones, Critical Articulations of Black Hair Body Politics and Africana Communities, who was a founding um, mother of uh, a, an important middle school in our town, which one reason I wanted to have your voice here for this. And not joining us now, not as a caller, as, at last, again, as a guest, <laughs> Chief Equity Officer, President, Co-Founder of Equity Matters, Michael Scott. Good to have you in the house, Michael. Always great to be here, Mark. Melody Simmons is in the house, reporter for the Baltimore Business Journal, who covers real estate and economic development. Good to have you here, Melody. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And I think we'll be hearing shortly from uh, our other guest, uh, Denzel Mitchell, farmer, educator, food justice advocate. Let me see if he texted things. I know he was stuck at work and wanted to join us, so let me see if I... Oh, he's... Pulling up now, he says. Good. So he'll be in the studio in a moment. 410-319-8888 is the number here. Uh, and good to have you all with us. Right here at talk at steinershow.org. Uh, you can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Um, but let me begin with my notes, if I can figure out which page I put them on. Aha, there we are. So let, let me start with the State of the City Address that happened uh, Thursday, I think it was, the Mayor gave her State of the City Address. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she said here, there's a number of things. I'm not sure where I want to start. Maybe we can start with kind of her comments about the school budgets uh, and taking money from police overtime, snow reserves, rainy day funds to kind of fill the hole. Um, and But on top of that, this is what she said. And I don't have the clip, so I'm just going to read it to you. 
What's the difference between the School for the Arts, Green Street Academy, City Neighbors, and Baltimore Design School from other schools in Baltimore? I can tell you, the mayor said. These schools have a board of directors made up of concerned citizens who believe in quality education and are willing to provide resources through fundraising and private donations to assure those students have the very best tools, teachers, and learning experiences to contribute to their students' success. And said as well that public-private partnerships are essential to the success of the city uh, and its children, and observed then every school in Baltimore should have a board of directors, she writes. So, and I took that um, out of the Baltimore Brew when they covered it. That's where I pulled that, those particular quotes out of the Baltimore Brew article on, on this piece. So let's talk a bit about that. I mean, th- this is a, to me, one of the three central issues here in our city we're facing are reforming what we mean by justice system, our school system, how they're tied together, and the nature of development. And my friend Lawrence Brown has been writing some really fascinating things about the nature of segregation in the city and the history of segregation, how that, to me, is, for him, is one of the most fundamental factors. And I'm really, he, and I think he's right. He's developed a, a kind of thinking that's forcing us all to think about this. Uh, welcome, Dan. Good to have you with us, man. Have a seat. And um, so let's talk about this. So, Michael, go ahead. Yeah, so, so I, I think those are right calls, Mark. There's, there's another set of factors that I really uh, will pepper throughout my, my chat with you today is, is that we're in a new age, right, a, a network age that changes fundamentally how leaders make decisions and how they should. And, and the fact is it is as, as big of a shift as the Great Enlightenment or the Industrial Revolution. It is that kind of seismic major. And most of our leaders are just ill-prepared to, to make these decisions based on a network age. And so it's about where you get your information, you know, how you process information. Are you doing it in a 19th century way, a 20th century way, a 21st century way? And it's really a, a fundamental shift that we're seeing. And it's why we see all of this turmoil on international markets, in, 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 in war and dip, uh, diplomacy, in elections. Like the, there are fundamental seismic shifts in how we navigate complexity that our instincts have yet to catch up to our habits, and it affects us at the local level. So I think uh, absolutely we need a board of directors because what, what should have happened, though, is that the board of directors should be elected officials. It should be the, the private sector and citizenship's uh, voice should be heard. But we don't function that way, and so we need new ways to come in and, and have those conversations. So her shorthand for that, the language is, I hear, board of directors, but what she's really putting her finger on is the way networks and our connectivity shifts the way things are done and the way decisions need to be made. Well, I'm going to explore that in some depth because that's complex. Let me go to Melody and come right over to you, Kimberly. Well, my thought is we have the new mayor. She has come in with great energy, um, very good ideas, and um, really an open heart trying to look at Baltimore and some of the problems and addressing it with – a new a new eye and new vision yes. and um, I'm hoping she's not suggesting to create another level of bureaucracy in the schools um, <laughs> I do think that there are PTOs there are PTAs uh, there is the school board of course so there are a lot of um, oversights I think what people are really um, and parents uh, what we've heard over the past month or two in all the concern over the the shortage and the funding is that there needs to be a better handle on how schools are um, are 
run, how they are managed. Um, and I think that um, they might be the last entity here, uh, or one of the last entities, to kind of catch up on the accountability mode. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing that a lot. And um, I think that's what Mayor Pugh wants to um, latch on to. She's very big on public-private partnerships. And so we're seeing a big wave of that going on in the city right now. So on on the micro level, specifically dealing with the schools, my issue with so much energy around these public-private partnerships is it sounds as though there's this bottomless pool of monies that all of these private those in the private sector have access to, and at some point in time, we're going to get to the bottom of this pool of money. So I'm not clear as to why we continue to talk about that at the federal level with Meals on Wheels as an example, or the NEA and NEH, and then at the micro level, we're having these same conversations with our schools when my concern is, yes, I value those. I mean, I sit on one of these boards that she's talking about, so I understand what she's saying, but I also know as someone sitting at the table of one of those schools that we are always scrambling to make sure we meet those dollar amounts that we've set as goals each year. And so the fact that we then create that as a mindset for every single school we have to recognize that it does create a level of competition and it does start to scream in terms of whether or not schools can be successful across the board. Dan, you want to jump in on that at all? <laughs> um, I, uh, y- sure. Um, I That's mean, why I, you're here, man. What are I, you I, I know, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'm, I mean, I, I'm in complete agreement with uh, everybody here at the table. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, and, and, you know, one of the major issues here um, is, you know, we're talking about a national issue that our schools are failing, failing our kids. Right. And they've been failing our kids. Um, and it's. You know, it's, it's you know all all this talk is great, it's fantastic, but there needs to be some systematic change in how we are addressing the needs of of our children in this city and in and, and cities throughout the country. Um, and I don't think we need more oversight. Um, and we also know that these these bottomless pools of money do end up drying uh, end up drying up at some point. But at the end of the day, the money that the private sector puts into our public education never really sees mm. the kids right. you know you know our kids still start start school in August with no uh, air conditioning they're not being fed well um, you know they have outdated books or they don't have access to computers and so we you know so there's a much larger systematic issue and you know and it's fantastic when we have great minds come together and have conversations or great minds sit at these the boards of these schools um, to create some change within the within the individual school but overall the school system is failing and that's you know that's a much much larger problem before you say something michael one of the things i I do want you to jump right in here but i when she asked the question what's the difference what's the difference between the school for the arts green street academy city neighbors baltimore design school from other schools let me posit something part as part of what's the difference is the difference is that these schools all have money that come out of wealthy white philanthropy behind them. Mm-hmm. That's the difference in these schools, part of it, right? Right. Yes. Uh, and, and they, they, they wouldn't have what they have without right. that philanthropy on top of the money the schools were getting. So, the, I mean, it seems to me that, as you were saying, Kimberly, there is no bottomless pit. 
This is not going to go on and on. And I think this whole notion of public-private partnerships in our schools is mythology being created because we don't right. want to invest the public money in our schools that we've invested before. And many reasons for that, part, one of the reasons for that is because of who attends our schools. That's right. right. That's exactly. right. So we right. have to kind that's of address right. that, I think. That, that's the meta-narrative, Matt, uh, right, Mark? Because, because you know, we, we've tipped, right? So now the majority of public school kids in the country are, are kids of color. Right. So so that's a that's a reality that that happened before the Trump era. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we can only imagine what a Davos uh, administration is going to do to destroy this. So, so I want to say about public private partnerships here too, crowdsourcing, uh, fancy word of, of saying distributed cognition. What can we learn from other places? Public private partnerships in Europe are crafted differently. Public-private partnerships in America privatize the profit and they publicize the liability. Mm-hmm. That does not work, right? But if, we, but, but if we have shared risk, shared return, true investment in the way that, that, that we are, are crowdsourcing our solutions, right? Then, then, and then again, that's, that's that network approach. It's a fundamental shift in how we think about and execute our work. But one of the things, Erica Green, even though she's leaving The Sun, unfortunately, mm-hmm. going to the New York Times, I think she's a, she's a fine reporter. Fabulous. And a lovely human being as well. Um, I'll just say thank you for the work you've done for us, Erica Green, here at The Sun, and good luck at The Times. Um, uh, that She's writing a, a series right now on education and segregation, mm-hmm. which ties right into some of the work that Dr. Lawrence Brown has been doing around this issue as well on his Facebook uh, page, Brace. Um, and he's done some phenomenal work, I think. He's made the white L black butterfly part of the nomenclature of our discussions in the city. And he created that, and now people are, are responding to it in ways they should be and responding to He added the it. Asian turtle or something like that. <laughs> That's true, too, right? Like, um, I, have, uh, yeah, I guess. But anyway, so... Um, <laughs> but, but, but I say that to say that the article is about also what's happening in Baltimore County. Um, and it starts off with what's happening in Catonsville, where they redesign the schools to resegregate the schools fundamentally in Catonsville. So really, I mean, that, that's, that's the plan. So it's not just about city schools. So we have to really deal with this question of, well, let me ask it for you this. So when the civil rights movement was happening to end segregation, part of the idea was to create integration, right? Which didn't happen. Right. It depends on who you're asking, whose idea. Yeah. Who, some some would say desegregation. Desegregation. Versus integration. Right. You know, because the, the, the at the end of the day, the, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but the, but do it anyway. the larger, <laughs> sorry, right, the larger, <laughs> the larger <laughs> movement no was to elders. integrate, but there was no plan. What does integration look like? Right. It was desegregation. That's what, so, that's what so the that's fight was question. for. So that's my no question. Plan. So my question right. is, and if what Lawrence posits and other people posit, mm-hmm. and what Erica Green's articles are pointing to as well, that segregation harms our children. There's all the arguments against that. People saying, no, we don't need to be with white folks in order to have our schools and students learn. There's an argument around that as well. Uh, and there's an argument, oh, no, we're not really kind of segregating our schools. We're just trying to help neighborhoods have their own schools, which is the other side of an argument, mm-hmm. right? But the reality is, if segregation is a problem, de facto real segregation is a problem, then, then should that not be at the center point of the agenda of a city government? And what does that look like? It looks like what it looks like in Seattle and King County. It looks like what it's going to look like in New Mexico. It looks like what it's going to look like in Texas. In this, right? You can pass equity legislation, right? It's not new that, that puts that at the center. And the other thing, Mark, that, that is interesting, too, so you talk about Catonsville. 
Catonsville has no more interest in talking about Richmond than Richmond does in Catonsville. And yet, we just saw the launch of the Washington Greater Washington Partnership, which is from Baltimore to Richmond. And who's leading that? From Baltimore, it's going to be uh, Daniels from from Hopkins, and uh, um, uh, the uh, the other player is is who? Um, the point is is that it's it's this uh, long range play for for high speed rail. It's about the Olympics, right? It's and 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 they're having that conversation simultaneous to the t- to the time that people are having a conversation of truth, uh, racial healing, and equity. With the Kellogg Foundation, so the largest, one of the largest foundations in the country is saying, we studied r- truth and reconciliation all over the world, and we can't have reconciliation here because what we would reconcile to is inequity. So what we need is truth, racial healing, and transformations. So you have two regions about to engage in two very separate processes. With our, so Under Armour, Kevin Plank, and it was the other name, and, um, and, and, and Ron Daniels from Baltimore are representing all the way to Richmond, right? So I raise that to say... These are two parallel processes, major players, major business on one hand, major foundations on the other. Do you think those folks are talking to each other? Do you think that Catonsville residents see their common interest with Richmond? They do not. But the question is, do we have the technology, do we have the know-how to make that possible so that better decisions are made throughout? And the answer is yes. And not only is the answer yes, do we have the technology, we know what the data says. The data says that equity is a superior growth model. It is so, not yeah, equivocal. But, but, but here the, here's the problem. You can pass equity laws, but they don't change the paradigm. They haven't yet. Agreed. Right? right. So, so, so the question is, and so this, is there anything wrong with planning for high-speed rail? Is there anything wrong with planning for the Olympics? I, I don't think those are. The question is that if you make plans and they don't help end racist poverty, unemployment, then they're not worth the plans are written on. The, I, the paper they're written on. They're, and they're so, not mutually exclusive. And, so, but we act like they are. That's because we, the we are one metropolitan area when you think about it. We are Richmond to D.C., mm-hmm. I mean to Baltimore, mm-hmm. Baltimore to New York. I mean, this is one megalopolis. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It really is. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, but, so the question becomes, so, so then what are the questions we have to start asking of the mayor and the city council, which I tried to start last week with our city council members? What are the questions we have to start asking around these issues we are not asking? Right. Which is what Brandon Scott said. He was like, okay, this, this sounds great, but what's happening right now? Okay, so you, you're going to cut the $40 million um, in overspending by the police department by reducing um, the amount of overtime that they're using. But that's f- great, but what's happening today? What's happening right now? That's, and that's a fantastic question, and that question never gets answered. That's why, you know, politics is, you know, such a quagmire to me. It's like, what's happening today? Yeah. Like, you know... They're talking about defunding nutrition in schools. So how are the kids going to get fed? Mm-hmm. They're they're taking money from Meals on Wheels, but we say we love our old people and we love our children. <laughs> it's like what? What? Th- right. This doesn't make any sense. Our budgets are our values. And yeah. I think one of the big um, Simmons. <laughs> one of the long-standing um, issues in the city of Baltimore and, and even in the region around here is there's no plan. Nobody right. talks to anybody. There's no cohesive plan. You have things like this that just crop up. It's like a quick fire. Let's put it out and let's move on to the next thing. So there's no long term, no standing coordination. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have your that's where the there's no links in the chain. 
And some would say there so, is a plan, a transition plan, like the transition the document that the, the transition team made. Mm-hmm. But I think that goes back to the argument of network science, right? It's, there's nothing completely unreasonable in that, although taking off my activist hat, right, there, there are some issues that people will find because it's a political compromise process when you produce a document like that, right? Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're saying you're telling the public that I've brought reasonable experts to kind of opine on these things, and here's the – right? That's a very different approach than, than what I'm talking about, navigating complexity and finding out where the weak signals are that are going to uh, be the, 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 the threads of, of, of shift and change that you have to navigate six months from now, right? That's a very different process, but that process makes you better off. But at the end, of, I'm, I'm going to go back to something that Denzel said earlier, is we need to be focused on what's happening on the ground level. And my concern is, even when I think about Central Office or North Avenue, that there's so much in terms of speaking about education in an abstract that we're not thinking about how it directly impacts whether or not my children eat when they come into the building each morning. And that's the piece that really disturbs me, because even as we're talking about finding ways to close this 100 80 million dollar gap what happens with that is once we find a way to close it is we go back to the default we go back to where we were comfortable and we don't maintain those hard decisions that allow us to grow and catapult to the next level for our children we stay fixated in that quagmire Mm -hmm. that you mentioned earlier or that safe space where all of those who are making money off of this system continue to benefit and that's my biggest concern about this you just so, hit a you hit a landmine there, but I'll let you go. <laughs> yeah. I'll come back to that. Come back to that. Four one zero three one nine. Well, let's come back to that. Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Number here. Your thoughts on what you've been hearing so far on this hour of the Mark Steiner Show about our local situation, schools, police. Randy, you're on the air. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I, Good morning. I um I was just wondering um what can be done about this um repetitive uh, cycle of failure where kids get suspended a lot those who are chronically suspended go away for the summer and the teachers are just um, like saying a sigh of relief they're gone right um uh, so all summer the records are in front of the administrators you know the kids who have failed you know that they can't read you know they can't they they speak almost a different language they you you don't understand what they're saying they don't know how to pronounce the words of the English language, even a lot of times, so that they can be heard any part of the city, right? It's it's a little enclave where that makes um, good, complete uh, communication sense when they, when they're speaking. Well, they arrive again. They're in a classroom. Teachers with no documentation, they're just put into another class, and they, it, the cycle starts all over again. The teacher catches absolute hell. I'm trying to teach them. They're suspended, suspended. Summer rolls around, and they do it again. There's no excuse for it, and it has to stop. Um, during the summer, kids who fail, there should be a plan. When they arrive, that plan is, is put into motion, and those kids are safeguarded. They're protected from the suspensions because we now learned from last year what didn't work for them, and we're going to make sure that this year it works. It's not happening. And because they have not the advocacy they need, um, it's, they're ignored. And they're just kind of lumped in with all the other kids. Um, and like they're, they don't exist, but they stand out like a sore thumb. And, and something has to be done to acknowledge them, recognize them, give them services, speech, okay. I mean, speech therapy or whatever they, it's going to take. 
so that they can contribute. We don't know what trauma they've been through, but um, but it's manifested in the chaos in our schools and in our community. I, I deeply appreciate that thought. Cause I think the, you're, you're describing perhaps a majority or plurality plurality of the schools in our city. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them, but a, a huge portion of the schools in yeah. our city. He cleaned it up at the end there. I was a little concerned out the gate. Because we were blaming kids and not the system uh, that's failing them. Because the language that they're speaking is inequity, not not not. No, no, but, 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 right? yeah, but you like, know, so, not to blame the. Uh, nobody's blaming the. I don't think he was blaming the kids. I think the issue. I know. I said the he cleaned it up at the end. Our kids have been done a disservice. That's Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. They that's cannot, right. They're not that's being right. taught to think critically. Absolutely. They're not learn. How, they're not being taught how to speak, put sentences Correct. together, and thoughts. Right. That's Read. that's a problem. Correct. Right. Read. I mean, that's right. that's a problem. And so what we have done is created a system that works for adults and doesn't take that's into right. consideration the children that's we are exactly. to serve. Right. Which is why I pointed to you because of what you were trying to do in terms of starting a school and what that is you're looking at. Yes, but it's also a very complex landmine even for me because even though I'm a parent who wanted to create a space for boys like my son, I am also seen as someone at the table creating something outside of the Mm -hmm. school system to privilege the space where my child will be at. But here's the reality. I have issues with teachers' unions as a result of having this experience. I have issues with adults who are sitting at the helm who are making decisions about children and have no sense of what's happening in our buildings. I have issues with how mental health becomes the bottom of the barrel of our concerns in a school system in which there is nothing but children coming into our buildings every day full of trauma. And yet we have an expectation that they can then somehow focus six to eight hours a day and thrive academically when they've got all of this baggage they brought into the building. Mm -hmm. So that's my issue and why I try to stay quiet on some of this. No, no, but that's why you shouldn't stick quiet for this because you, you have so much clarity on the issue that voice needs to be heard. And you're the doctor at the table, I think. And we have, that's I think cool. it's, we're about to go to break here. So let's, as we go to break, it's uh, a little Chuck Berry. Where is Chuck? <laughs> Where's Chuck? My dingling. <laughs> no, this is a family. <laughs> Some stations refuse to play this song, but Chuck still got his money. <laughs> We're going to play it. On the way out to play it, I'll remind you, conversations like this about the, our future are brought to you in part by MeCU Baltimore's Credit Union, offering a full range of financial services. MeCU Baltimore's Credit Union has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, when you invest in yourself, MeCU invests in you. More information at www.mecu.com. We'll be right back and read a couple of tweets and your phone calls coming in. Stay with us. I forgot to tell you, it's a little jerk. Right there. Oh, well, oh, well, I feel so good today. We just talked about... Berry, nine years old, still making music to the day he died mm-hmm. working on his new album. Back... A lesson for all of us. That's how I'm going to be like Chuck Berry. So back in the, well, some levels. <laughs> <laughs> back in the USA, that was. Uh, and it was not one of his best-known songs, but it's a great song. The thing really jammed. He couldn't stop music using it. But um, the, the Beatles and others took those songs. Made in USSR really was a takeoff on this song mm. that the Beatles did. Mm-hmm. Um, they had good taste. So uh, we're here with our guest, Michael Scott, Chief Equity Officer uh, from 
Equity Matters, Melody Simmons, uh, reporter for the Baltimore Business Journal, Denzel Mitchell, former educator, social justice advocate, uh, and uh, Dr. Kimberly Moffat, associate professor of American studies at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and co-founder of a charter school here in Baltimore for our middle school kids. Boys, mm-hmm. 410-319-8888 is the number come those calls. But Melissa tweeted in, schools require dipping into the rainy day fund. Why should we expect communities, communities with less social capital to make up? Uh, they are not substitute for baseline budgets and commitments. How is the Baltimore Police Department? How is it that the Baltimore Police Department can bust their budget y- every year? But mm. so, um, so th- I mean, this becomes part of the question. I mean, so how do we? So how do you? I want to come back to what I said earlier how, before we go to the phones and Gwendolyn, you're the next caller up. Is how do we change that dynamic? How do we change the political discourse? We have these new city council people, eight of them. They should be in the, uh, some of them are in the, in the middle of changing that discourse. But it has to be done. If we're going to figure out a different way of doing things. Um, there was a, on, on Facebook, um, where we, many of us get a lot of our information, there was a, uh, a piece. You sounded like Trump now. No, but but it's real. <laughs> Don't you? That's the social connectedness, right? We are connected. <laughs> trying, you what are you trying Facebook, to say? <laughs> this is a place to get some information, Mark. I'm just saying. We need to talk. <laughs> after, after <laughs> there's, some, uh, there's some other spaces, right, <laughs> to get our news. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so <laughs> tough, tough audience, man. Really rough. I don't want to go in my studio again. But no, I'm just kidding. So, so, so um, there, but in that space on the Baltimore City Voters page, where there's often some really interesting things going on in terms of conversation, Beth Hawks um, put this piece on there about what was going on in the where people complaining about the tear up of the, uh, the market in Cross Street, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a protest outside, all white people. Who one of the comments from the leaders of the protest was. A rally in the alley. The market must change because the demographics have changed. Mm. We now have a bunch of younger, smarter, better, and that's the thing who earn more, want more, and deserve more than what they got here, Cross Street Market. Oh, bless their hearts and their little dehumanized selves. <laughs> so, but, but, so. And, 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 let, lest we forget, there's a neighborhood across. Well, first of all, I was a community organizer there when it was a poor white neighbor, working class neighborhood by the docks. A. B. There's another neighborhood right next to it is still there called Sharp Leadenhall, mm-hmm. which is one of the oldest mm-hmm. black communities in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's right in the crosshairs of, of a big redevelopment, Stadium Square. And, um, you know, Case Valley Partners is now still in the mix for the cross street. So um, Sharp <coughs> Leadenhall is right in the crosshairs of all the, the new, I don't want to use the word gentrification, but that's that's what's going on out there. And so I think um, as much as they, the developers have teamed up with a lot of the people and residents and leaders in Sharp Leaden Hall, there's still a lot of concern and talk about the future of that neighborhood and community. You know, Mark, back to the same conversation, right? When are we going to learn about how to – so there's a brilliant book, Equity, Community, and Growth. They analyze the same data that they look at internationally, domestically. There is no question that more sustainable growth models have equity at their center, right? But we just don't understand it. We don't speak the language. We have not sufficiently done our learning community so that developers 
uh, public. I mean, you can talk about poor covenant, right? Like, it, this is not about looking backward. It's about looking forward, right? It's about how do we make decisions better going forward. There's a look. There's a lot that the mayor has said and the new city council has said that, that I think is great, right? But it won't do it alone without a different change in the process of how we bring those voices in. And it's not a token check the box. You know, you signed in. We, you know, we, 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 we talked to, to community. It's, it's fundamentally understanding how their needs align with yours. And we're not doing that in all the places that we need to yet. Well, also, I think you need to look at EBDI. You need to look at East Baltimore. That started out uh, with some, maybe some feeble attempt of trying to involve the community. Mm -hmm. But there has been absolutely no talking to the community over the past two or three years by EBDI. They had some community um, board set up. Um, There was a lot of protests going on. So a lot of these meetings shut down immediately. So there's been a very big lack of communication about the the turning and redevelopment of that community out there on the east side. Let me open the phones here once again. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just lost uh, Gwendolyn, another caller. So let me go to the third caller. Call back, Gwendolyn. We want to get you on the air. I want to hear what you were going to say about special ed teachers. Mm -hmm. 410-319-8888. Try to get to my callers in a much more timely fashion. My apologies. Melissa tweeted once again, uh, the mayor's comments push off what is a constitutional right onto parents in the private sector. Partnership's wonderful, but in capital letters. Mm -hmm. 410-319-8888. Hank, you're back with us. Welcome. Uh, Mr. Steiner, this is just, you know, something I was just thinking about, right? Do you know the highway that goes to nowhere? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> you could finish that highway to nowhere, to drop it off right to 695 put a $2 toll on it, right? While building infrastructure, giving jobs to your city, right? All of the money that comes off of that two-and-a-half, maybe two-and-a-half to four-mile stretch, right? could go directly into Baltimore City Public Schools. And then if you chose to, right, you could also run the uh, floating rail system above it, which could connect east and west and still and, 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 um, connect the east to the west, right? All the infrastructure, right, which allows people from Ellicott City, Columbia, and that way to come in town at an easier rate, right? And also, people who want to drive pay the toll, which pays the Baltimore City Public School System. Right? I mean, that's just me thinking, right? Maybe I'm I, wrong. Tell me what you're No, no, I think. I, I, I like your unconstrained thinking. Can somebody <laughs> give Hank a job? Was that? Somebody give Hank a job? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can't. So who do we need to talk to to get Hank a job? <laughs> that, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Right. Why, I mean, why isn't there allocated it's like you said we know exactly how much it costs to pay teachers and to effectively educate kids it costs this number of dollars we know how much it costs to feed kids we know how much it costs to feed kids better food we know how much it costs to abolish the suspension system keep kids in school in the classroom right we know what it costs right. to 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 have children's uh, mental and physical and emotional needs met. So that's how much money we need. I don't. I don't understand that. All across the country, we're having these exact same conversations. We know we needed this number of dollars, but we only put this number of dollars towards it, and we wasted this number of dollars to um, uh, uh, fuel for you know bringing graham crackers over here to this after-school program or. Um, um, 
buying the wrong light bulbs that ended up in some closet <laughs> in this other school or whatever. I mean, it's you know, it's just it's like th these are very very simple fixes if we are actually interested in fixing the problem. Are we really interested in educating our kids and preparing them for the 21st century? Well, that's a good question. And the answer, what, the answer is no. Who, who benefits from no. the system not exactly. being fixed, right? Exactly. And, and, and we Because we do know that freedom schools work. We do know, right, there's a yeah, lot, there's right. lot of examples we, of what yes. works, but we don't, f we don't fund it, we don't invest in it, yeah. right? We know what kids need, need in order to be prepared to go to college. We know we know what they need. And so if you're not giving them what they need, then you clearly don't want them to be prepared. The only thing I would add about Hank's call though is that we want to make sure that when we have that unconstrained thinking, it's coupled with all those communities that were displaced at Leaden Hall for the first right. time they did mm -hmm. ninety five mm -hmm. and, and and the stadiums and, and also the highway to know right that if those voices are there and crowdsource the decision that this mm -hmm. is what because we now have the technology that that's not an unwieldy process. We can so actually do that. I do, I'm going to open the phone to you again, but I do have a question. A lot of people are calling in. I hope we get to it. Maybe it's a, it's a question for another day, which is what do we mean by ending segregation in Baltimore? And what does that mean? How do you get there? What does that mean? Hmm. But let me get to the phones. 410-319-8888. Uh, Taryn, line three, you're on the air. Welcome. Yes, thank you so much. I'm so surprised that I'm on air. I was riding down uh, Martin Luther King Boulevard, and you mentioned Shop Leaden Hall. Yes. My, my community. I am, it's two uh, associations there. I am on um, one of the associations, a board member. And I was so stressed out this weekend that a friend of mine told me I had to choose my battle. I do not like what's going on with the gentrification that is occurring currently. And my community, it is the oldest African-American community. Um, we have it take issue with Caves Valley. Um, one of the representatives there, I'm not going to say his name. I am in constant battle with the other organization where he has partnered up with. And I'm going to stop going to the meetings until something else important comes up because I'm very vocal. And I, I, I have to calm myself down and continue to be professional. But how could I? Can I? It's things that's happening. Um, he brought up, they brought up different lots. That's, that was a part of our associations um, under our care, but he's buying up a lot of different properties, and it was one lot in particular that was purchased, and I'm wondering why, because it's right behind, sits smack in the middle of the part of the black community that's privately owned, that is subsidized housing. Okay, we had a 99-year lease uh, there with this uh, establishment, and I'm going to go and look at the lease for loopholes because I have heard rumors that that will be purchased. Okay? So it's a lot. I am so disappointed in my city officials. Our, our council person is not a friend of Sharp Leaden Hall, of the people. Okay? And a lot of things that's been approved through the city is happening in my community. I feel alone. Okay, my community, my, I've been there 37, a resident 37 years. Wow. A, a lot of people grew up there. We feel alone. It's a lot of things that's happening in our community that they're going to eventually take it. Okay? So, Taryn, let me ask this question. Before, I'll let our kind of panel respond, but, I, but if you don't mind, before you hang up, 
I'm going to ask yeah. my producer to pick up the phone, get your phone number and email so I can contact you So Thank and you. give it to, uh, to, to Equity Matters as well so we can do what we can to, to uh, assist and also tell Thank the story you. the way it needs to be told. Thank you. And uh, one last thing. Yes, I ma'am. saw you at Navasha Day for um, the, the uh, showing of the oh, yes. um, documentary. Right. Right. I, I, I lo- that was a wonderful evening. It was a great evening. And was, you were a great host. Thank you. I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you. It means a lot. So uh, but get get her number and stuff so we can get back to so her. Because that story, so let me, let me, I yeah, think Melody wants to been covering this. Let well, me go to Melody. I'm listening to her, and, uh, and she's saying that the councilman, which is Eric Costello in that in that Oh, is district, it Costello, not Reisinger? Right. Well, it's on the line there, okay. but I believe Costello has that portion. Um, and um, there has been... Um, you know, a lot of meetings down there, and I think and Costello is kind of an enigma. He really does not make himself available to the media. He's very difficult to um, answer questions. He gives you his card, says call him. He doesn't pick up. So I'm just saying it's very difficult for us to get uh, get him on the phone as well to kind of explain things and talk about the concerns of the community. I do know uh, they do meet, of course, Mondays at 5 o'clock. You could make a personal appeal to him at in the city council chamber if needed that's some sometimes what we have to do but people it, call that an ambush but <laughs> hey you gotta do what you, you gotta, gotta do you gotta when people don't respond it's a civil <laughs> servant that's right. what they're supposed to do i was gonna say my mom grew up in cherry hill and then w- w- where they showed that film they were just referencing and then and then moved to leadenhall and so when we talk about how it looks on the ground i mean we're part of this process called baltimore 2030 which is really looking at a long-term vision and involving people differently, right? There's this other thing that's happening that's really interesting when Kaiser Permanente uh, Health Plan is, is trying to get some market share here. Uh, and so they've invested in an equity leadership institute, which is unlike anything that we've seen in the city, having just finished a three-year Kellogg Fellowship, which is the oldest uh, W.K. Kellogg Foundation Fellowship, which is the Serial Makers Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- th- it's, it's the oldest fellowship program in the city. And so really looking at these issues of equity so that it's not just... Not Nonprofits, it's for profits, and in, in fact, tonight um, the SB7 will be looking at whether or not they can participate. And I, I really hope that they make the right decision because this is about investing in the infrastructure of those neighborhoods, not not you know in in, in the leadership, so that those organizations can stand up and be a little stronger. And and that's what we need. We need the participation of of, of the unusual suspects, mm-hmm. right? The people that are most affected on the ground, mm-hmm. the people who have tenure, deep roots in the city. When, when we get that kind of rich, robust input, our outcomes are always better. And and this is the data is is unequivocal when we see. And, and you and this is not lefties from Ber, you know Birkenstock wearing lefties from Berkeley saying this. This is the people that run the war games. No, I'm just you know I'm just saying people like to Sorry. like to put it in two boxes, <laughs> right? But these are these are pe- people that that are that are we would think of as serving you know Dick Cheney and Darth Vader when they say <laughs> when, when they say that that community gives us better outcomes. You know you're on to something when, when when both sides agree, right? And I'm saying we just need to to create that ethos in the city that that epistemology that learning community where that kind of thinking can take hold. So let me reopen the phones, if I might. Is that cool? Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Michael, you're on the air, line one. Yes. Um, good morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. Okay. Now, my um, okay, my family's been part of the city for. I mean, I guess over seventy five, eighty years. Mm-hmm. My father, um, he was raised here. 
No, me. After he came from Alabama, then Florida, he settled, wind up settling here. My mother's from here. Um, so basically, I I spent the last fifty years, sixty years actually, because eleven March was my birthday. Um, Happy birthday! But okay, yeah. My, so my, what's um, what, what, what's the point you want to make? My point is that okay, no one holds these city officials and the people that's bargaining. To, to gain these properties, nobody's holding their foot to the fire because all these people make commitments to the schools hmm. in order to get the the funding for the situations or, or, or you know what I mean, uh, uh, the organizations that they come out for, they make all these promises that they're going to allocate most of these funds to the school. Nobody holds their foot to the fire for these. All these organizations, the racing organization that moved here, you know what I mean? The, uh, the man went through the discrepancies about whether they was going to pay them back or not. Right, right. And then you got, I mean, um, the other little structures that came down here. I mean, and then you got um, Port Covington. Everybody that's, that's basically building structures in this city I mean, makes commitments that they're going to do certain amount of uh, 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 contributing to the school situation. Mm-hmm. And nobody holds these people's feet to the fire. So the question, uh, you raise some really important issues, Michael, I think, um, as, a, as a man with deep roots in this town. Um, so again, I come back to where we started off before, which is how you change that. I mean, um, you... you it, you don't change it completely by just because there are black people participating in the process, right? Because that, it depends who are those people, what do they represent? Right. Because that just because you right. have diversity and inclusion doesn't mean you have equity, right? And, and so and so like we have to get clear on what what that means. And I mean, on on the break we were talking about. You know, who do we look to for solutions? We can't look only to philanthropy, right? right? right. But philanthropy does have accountability and responsibility, right? $44 trillion, Mark, with a T, $44 trillion is transferring in the next 20 years from baby boomers to millennials. It is the largest of transfer of, of, of wealth in the history of the world. And we have a chance to shape philanthropy and business and how it's done, the ethos, the culture, to conscious capital. We have a chance to, to do movement mobilization for uh, resource mobilization for movements. That, that work is happening. We're working with ABAC to try to begin to think, of, think through you know, how we can bring some of these things that are happening by their peers in other cities here. But but you know that's all. So each sector we've right. talked about public sector. We talked about business today. I wanted to include philanthropy, but I also want to come back to civil society. If as long as civil society looks to the public sector for solutions only to philanthropy or to business, we're going to lose. If if we take our leadership, and that's not you know dumping it all on us. It's it's saying you know when when civil society, when people most affected are making good decisions, and we can show how they're good decisions, then philanthropy needs to follow on, right. and the public se- sector needs to follow that. Right, and and then we get a shift in how we respect I, and understand you know, what happens. I, I might disagree with that a little bit. I mean, like, Come on, let's do it. Really, do I, I <laughs> no, just think we put 
too much on the philanthropy end. Well, no, I agree. And what I was going to say is if, if if we're talking about people on the ground being the ones who are leading First, and yes. then having philanthropy follow, follow, that's fine. But that's not where we that's are exactly, right now. That's exactly right. Where we are right now is philanthropy says this is what we're willing to give to. And then everyone tries to fit the what they're doing yeah. into that box so yes. that they can get access to those dollars, which then means that those dollars aren't being used for what is really necessary to happen in those communities and in particular schools. And I think if you look at East Baltimore, there's a story in the Sun today. It's part of the series that Erica Green and and Liz Bowie are working on. And it talks about the new school at EBDI. This was a partnership. It was a public-private partnership. It involved Morgan. It involved Hopkins. Hopkins really built the school. Um, It was supposed to be a um, just a a whole new way of, of teaching kids in that area. The problem is, is that a lot of the kids did not have access to a seat in the school. And they promised a lottery. But if you talk to the people who live in the community, the lottery system was always very fuzzy. and Rigged. Um, yeah, and it caused a lot <laughs> of problems. And um, so today you have a school that is about five years old and really millions and millions of dollars put into it. It's a charter school. And uh, it is really not performing up to academic standards. I don't think it meets AYP. Um, I think it's had a lot of problems with that. And so the teachers are not happy. The administrators have been replaced very abruptly. So there's a lot of stuff still going on. That's a brand new school, Henderson Hopkins out there. Right, Henderson Hopkins. Um, right, right. So you've got this big push going on now for the new schools in the city, the 20th century. You're going to have top-of-the-line facilities. Uh, the community has to grab hold of the ring and start the dialogue for their children now because those schools are going to be the ones that will take the kids into the future. Yes, but we were also the ones that were at the table when those conversations originally started. So now it depends on what city schools decides to do with those voices that contributed to those conversations. But that was where we started. Where we end up is a completely different reality. And they got crowded out, too. And and that's part of the problem is is that Denzel. Uh, So I, I just have two things to say. One... I mean, we know, I mean, my kids go to charter schools and it's very uh, sticky, uh, problematic conversation. But the the issue with the lottery system is that there's no, that there is no neighborhood preference. And so, so this public private Mm -hmm. partnership comes into this neighborhood Mm -hmm. and takes over a city owned building, which was a school, which isn't a school anymore Mm -hmm. because the school system failed. And then the people who live in that neighborhood, the kids who live in that neighborhood, they should have preference to get into this new school and make this school and make to make the school great. They don't they don't get the opportunity to do that. I, I mean, so that's one issue. And that's that's really problematic for me as a parent and as an educator. The second issue I want to go back to your question is what what do we do? And, you know, we can never really answer that question. Um, I think, you know, one of the ways of getting at that is to actually look at the schools that are getting it right. And I'm not talking about test scores because test scores don't tell us, you know, they tell us very little. We really need to look at what schools are doing it right. The kids are being educated. The kids feel healthy. They feel safe. And what is that school doing right? And then that system needs to be replicated into another school. And it needs to, and it, that's what needs to become systematized. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, the 
in, in, you know, it, the um, inefficiencies and the failures are, are what's systematized throughout throughout the school district, and that's the problem. We're, and the political, know, the political decisions. In the political decisions, yes. yeah, that that's what the problem is. And and, and you know, th- there's a write up in the newspaper, or we see something on Facebook about this one school doing it great. Like this school has uh, boys meditating, and they're and they're not sure. suspending as many k- kids. And so, why, so if we see that, and we see the the direct result of having children sit down and learn mindful practice then why isn't that systematized like why you know why do we why do parents we don't invest talk in, about we that don't invest in, in black park- nonprofits that's right, why. but what you know why do parents have to talk no, about that not, in the parking we lot we don't invest in our schools we, well, we're not investing too. in our schools we're not yeah, investing I mean, in the kids you know, I, don't, I don't you know i mean i i the whole question of of we are never going to charter our way out of this problem. Right. Exactly. I don't care if the charter is run by black folks, white folks, or somebody Agreed. else. That's right. right. We're not right. going to charter our way out of this problem. Exactly. That's true. I agree with you. You yeah. know, I mean, that's just not, it's just. It's true. Man, you know, we not can't have these happen. two, is, you know, essentially we're saying, you know, we have two public systems. Like, this does, you know, and and if what, you're lucky enough to get into the, the better public system. And we are destroying even those part of those and systems. And we, we're about to destroy one of the premier art schools in the whole country, mm-hmm. Baltimore School for the Arts. It's about to be destroyed by these budget cuts. By these cuts. And it, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. If Tweaks happen, will go. Yeah, if they happen. I, I do think the money will be found at the last minute. I mean, I'm hearing this. Um, I don't so, know what the long-term effect is going to be, and mm-hmm. this is also part of what's happening this week. So we're this is make-it-or-break-it week. Mm-hmm. So let's get one quick call in here before we have to end the hour. I'm sorry folks couldn't get everybody in. Uh, folks just calling in now. Leslie, you're on the air. Welcome. A quick thought, Leslie. Good I'm sorry. Good morning. I have a way to fund the schools. It's so simple. I can't believe nobody's thought of it before. What is it? You take all the private institutions in the city and all the religious institutions in the city, and they pay property. They pay property tax, and they pay income tax. <laughs> Brilliant idea. You, I, I'm with you. I love it. We, <laughs> I love it. And that's something and that... They, you give all that money to the schools, and the other way you can help fund the schools is under any circumstances, never ever give a private corporation city taxpayer dollars to do anything. Right. Leslie, thank you. Are the last thought for the day. She can just drop <laughs> the mic and go home. <laughs> right, right, right. As we say, drop the mic. Denzel Mitchell, Melody Simmons, Michael Scott, Dr. Kimberly Moffat, good to have the four of you in house. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank, thank you. All you. So much. Wonderful. For having have and a good thank week. All of you for what you bring to this uh, city and community. Uh, oh, I do want to posit two things. I know you got to get off the air. We really have to get off the air right now. <laughs> Watch Red Folder and uh, read Nicole Hannah Jones as so, well. So, well, thank you all for being here. Uh, it's good to have you on the house. Uh, Remind you on the way out of here, we're going to have a little more Chuck Berry. No particular place to go. A song he wrote on his way to prison. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so we'll hear a little Chuck going out. Uh, the Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by the, is brought to you is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our senior producer is Mark Gunry. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Ramlagan. Our intern is Morgan State Senior Michael Dixon. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our theme music is by Wal Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talkatsteinershow.org. The podcast is Steiner Show. And share it with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.